0: This episode is brought to you by Arizona Birding Tours, Arizona's premier local guiding service for birders and bird photographers. ABT offers custom individual and private group tours throughout the state from the birder mecca of southeastern Arizona to the world famous canyon country of northern Arizona. Arizona Birding Tours is about following passions. Passion for being in nature, for exploring beautiful places and amazing birds, for getting the best possible photo, and for having new experiences that create lasting memories. Arizona Birding Tours. More birds, better photos, your list. Find out more at www.arizonabirdingtours.com. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm Nate Swick. Happy New Year list. My first bird of 2024 was one of my neighborhood eastern bluebirds hawking emerging insects on the neighbor's lawn. A new first of the year for me. Hopefully, That will bring good tidings for 2024. And of course, our new bird of the year is here. We announced it this week, the 2024 ABA bird of the year is golden winged warbler. Good luck to you if you can find a golden winged warbler in the ABA area right now. But by the end of April, they'll be here. We'll be ready to celebrate the new bird of the year with them. But that will be the subject of next week's episode we'll have bird of the year artist natasha fontaine with us then this week i'm happy to bring you a conversation that i had at the end of last year with three members of the american ornithological society's ad hoc english bird name committee about their recent recommendations to change eponymous english language bird names in the americas those recommendations were accepted by the AOS Leadership Council back in November, a move that has been met with no shortage of discussion in the birding and ornithological world. I hope this conversation sheds needed light on a discussion that has been characterized recently by a lot of heat. It goes long, fair warning. So let's jump into the conversation with Irene Liu, Steve Hampton, and Alvaro Jaramillo after this week's Rare Birds. This is your rare bird focus for the end of December and the end of 2023. 2023 will go down as a pretty phenomenal rarity year with around 125-ish first records from 57 or so locations in the ABA area. Six of those were possible ABA area first records. Florida leads the way with nine, but New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Texas, and West Virginia all had five new birds. A piece. The first records rounding out the year include Maine's first hepatic tanager, the easternmost record of this southwestern species in the ABA area now. Georgia closed the year with a pair of firsts. We talked about the couch's kingbird last time, but a potential lesser nighthawk on Sea Island in mid November might represent a first, provided the photos prove diagnostic enough. Vermont, welcomed its long awaited first ash-throated flycatcher to the state list at the end of the year based on an observation in Middlebury, and in New York, an apparent allen's hummingbird at an undisclosed private location is a state first, such as the way of hummingbirds at personal feeders around the holidays. One of the more extraordinary records though of the year came right at the end where a Missouri-based animal rescue facility announced in a year end fundraising push that a few weeks earlier they had in their possession a young red-footed booby that had been picked up on a highway near downtown St. Louis, an obvious first record and by a significant margin, the farthest inland record of the species anywhere in the world. The bird unfortunately did not make it, but it's an amazing record nonetheless. Those are the major highlights for the past couple weeks, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org rba. You can also follow along with a new year of rare bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and in ABA community. The decision by the American Ornithological Society last year to begin the process of renaming birds currently named after humans was one of the more animating debates in the birding and ornithological communities in recent memory the recommendation for these changes were made by an ad hoc English bird name committee created by the AOS specifically to explore this issue. I am excited to welcome three members of that committee to the American Birding Podcast to discuss this issue in some depth. I want to welcome Irene Liu, Steve Hampton, and of course our friend Alvaro Jaramillo. Hello to you all. Thank you for coming here to discuss this.
1: Hello.
2: Thank you very much
0: yeah i'm excited to to work through some of these some of these issues with you here today, but first, I kind of want to start by talking about how this conversation on uh, honorific bird names on eponyms came into your orbit uh Steve, do you want to lead off
2: uh sure so i I first saw discussions about bird names uh on social media, and it wasn't bird names for birds it was it was something else um, and you know as as I watched the conversation, i was immediately struck by the distinct demographic split in the reactions uh, which i've continued to this day um this this suggested to me that there was a real issue here and it it called for me for a search for why these different reactions uh were so closely tied to age gender and and race. And, and what, like, what was the root cause of that? What does it mean for birding and ornithology and, and actually the environmental movement in general? And, and what were the solutions? And I thought about this both as, as a uh, citizen of a native tribe and as a birder. So, I, I'll touch on that. Like, so, as an, as an Indian, which is like… Yeah. the the worst the worst misnomer on the continent um i'm, I'm pretty well aware of misplaced <laughs> names um there's also like navajo iroquois comanche nez pierce creek i mean none of these are are real names and and they're not even close and and then of course native kids grow up surrounded by uh what we call indian killer place names uh every day i can you know, Amherst, DeSoto, Jackson, I, I can, from my house, I could go birding and walk past the um, Indian killer generals, uh, Kearney, Sheridan, Chick Grant, and Sherman, and they're all in a row. So, it tells you they were named on purpose. But, but I'm also aware that change is, is difficult. Um, and, and a great example is when the people of Ukiavik voted to change their name from Barrow to Ukiavik, mm-hmm. Hundreds of people voted. It passed by five votes. It was very close. And the interesting thing was most of the young people wanted to go with the traditional name Ukiyavik. And uh, it was the elders that, that wanted to just keep Barrow,
0: hmm.
2: which is interesting. Um, and, you know, ch- changes seems more difficult for uh, people that have become used to a certain name. And, of course, these names worm their way into our, you know, our books, our addresses, our, I mean, everything. So then as a birder, I was thinking about this issue and I'm certainly cognizant, right, of the diversity problem in birding ornithology and the environmental movement. So we have suddenly in the last, I don't know, five years or so, we have Black Birders Week, Freedom Birders, Feminist Bird Club, Always Be Burdened podcast, World Girl Birders, Queer Birders of North America, Galbatrosses. I'm sure I'm leaving some out. Um, and these groups have mission statements like, providing a safe opportunity for members of this community to connect with the natural world. And that to me is like, why are these groups suddenly existing? Well, there's a reason, right? And, and, and part of that is a, is a failure of the traditional groups to be inclusive or for them to feel comfortable in those groups. So these are all like, these are all soul searching questions for, for the birding community. Um, so it was kind of with all that background that i that I started thinking about this It's interesting that you
0: mentioned Ukiagvik because that's that's a place that's important to birders as well, like we've <laughs> known about rarities uh from Barrow from Ukiogvik for for years and years and years and years, and when it changed um i I knew nothing about the conversation that was going on up there uh, I remember thinking oh this is this is a hard one to to remember, but now it's second nature it's not even a not even a worry, so it goes to show cool. that you know, even that is probably a pretty significant change. Certainly, to people who are who are birdwatchers and aware of what goes on there every fall. But uh, and now it's just second nature.
2: And 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 based on the vote tally, they they went through the same conversation that the birding community is going through right yeah, now. Interesting. How about you, Irene?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, happy to talk about it. I think, and maybe my information can help people. Understand what's been going on in the, on the AOS side as well these mm-hmm. last few years, since the work I did and the reason I was involved really stemmed from being a member of the AOS Diversity and Inclusion Committee. I first heard about bird names in 2019. I remember for the Anchorage, Alaska conference in 2019, I was looking at bird Twitter and started seeing some tweets about a proposal to change the name of. McCown's Longspur. And that really was the first exposure to the reasoning and to the very Mm -hmm. first proposal. And, you know, I admit I hadn't thought about it before, but, you know, I felt the reasoning was different and I felt I could get on board with it, but, you know, didn't have enough information to have a strong opinion one way or the other. And then fast forward a year where it really exploded onto everybody's consciousness in 2020. Um, was the Bird Names for Birds uh, petition, as well as AOS's um, response in summer. And so in my capacity as somebody who now makes science media, I had made a series of diversity and inclusion-themed videos for the 2020 NAOC, the North American Ornithological Congress um, conference. And As it happened, uh, two of the interviewees talked about bird names in their answer to a question I'd posed to everybody about how to make their ideas for making ornithology more inclusive. As it happened, Dr. Dulanum was also somebody who agreed to record a short testimonial. And I found myself talking with him about this topic and he was actually the person who suggested perhaps a public forum might be uh, necessary or important to give this issue air. I mean, it's already become so charged. People have started to really retreat into their corners and like that discourse is not happening. And so that, Um, was part of the genesis for the 2021 AOS Community Congress, which uh, listeners may know was a public forum hosted um, by the AOS and um, kind of co-organized by the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. But I want to bring people back um, because I'll remind everybody, I, as a non-taxonomist, I'm a biologist, but not a taxonomist, did not know about this issue. And my fellow colleagues in the Diversity and Inclusion Committee also did not. All we kn- knew was that we were kind of seeing the discourse and the temperatures rise, and we kind of knew we wanted to mediate. We weren't sure how yet, but we knew we first needed to become informed on the issue. And so we started asking questions to stakeholders across the birding and ornithological community, and that meant talking to people from Audubon. We talked to you, actually, Nate, From when we talked to the... I, I
0: think I was Yeah, those, yeah uh, with ABC,
1: yeah. Um, with US Fish and Wildlife Service, with USGS, Bird Banding Lab, and Breeding Bird Survey. You know, just really trying to get a sense of what people across the community of bird name users uh, thought about this issue. Mm-hmm. And so as we were listening to them. And again, everybody was so kind, giving us the time and letting us just ask questions about the technical issues. I also was trying to do my own research to figure out where I stood on this topic, because, you know, I I'd, I'd heard these proposals, but didn't really know where I stood. And so started reading about some of the biographies of the people whose um, who who had honorifics. And I would say that the pivotal biography that I read was Jared Potter Kirtlands, of course, the person for whom Kirtland's warbler is named after. And there was a biography, it's actually linked to his Wikipedia page, you know, like somebody, somebody put that there. And it was uh, you know, kind of a, a biography written after his death. And it said, you know, he's this great naturalist, he's a physician. And his father was a stakeholder in this company that had purchased a lot of land from Connecticut. So his family was of means and that's how he got to go to med school and have all these like access and opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I suppose in 2020, you can't read that without thinking, well, where did that land come from? Obviously the consciousness of knowing about unceded land is, is kind of, in there and it's implicit in there. And so I was thinking, well, even for somebody with outstanding orthological contributions who did not have individual acts of violence, this is still somebody who's supported by a system that at its core is inequitable and exploitative. And so that I remember thinking, huh, like maybe you can't decide which needs to change because yeah, individual and social acts are, are really closely intertwined. And so that that was sort of my personal evolution. Um, but as Alvaro and Steve know, once we got to the committee much, much later, a couple years later, you know, I still found it really daunting to think about a large scale name change. Um, and we can get into that later. But yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I will. I want to save that. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> teaser, <laughs> teaser.
3: How about you, Al? Oh, boy. Um, I remember quite vividly hearing at some point about, you know, changing of names. At that point, I think, you know, the long tail duck had been changed and so forth. And um, maybe the long spur was happening or or what have you, but there was this idea of like changing a whole bunch of names. And I remember really knee jerk sort of saying like, that is insane. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's just, I mean, this is crazy. The names are the names, they are what they are. And they always have been and uh that was my initial kind of reaction to the whole names thing to to be quite honest, um, but that was years ago and um I started kind of thinking a little bit more about one one topic was that, well first of all i I'm, I'm on the you know, one mm-hmm. of the AOS committees, the South American Classification Committee. So we had been dealing a lot with names and, um, you know, splits and, yeah, and you know, lumps a a and of, names and this, and this and that, all that all the stuff America, you guys yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of splits and even new new yeah. species being named and, and all that. And I knew that one of the stumbling blocks in in the entire process was the English name, like the, the taxonomy and the actual uh procedure of deciding whether something was one or two species and so forth was way more straightforward than deciding what you're going to call this new snipe species. For example, that's a a paper I was involved with in South American snipe. We never actually resolved what to call one of the snipes. You know, it was Magellanic snipe and the other one, was it going to be Paraguayan snipe? Was it going to be black? And eventually it was you know, others just said uh, we've <laughs> done waiting for you guys. You, know, we're just going to call it Pantanal Snipe, which I just saw recently. You know, f- for real, the first time I'd ever seen it with the new name, which is interesting. So I kind of had this background, the names, and I and I thought, you know, there's stuff going on here that is cultural, that is sort of beyond the the realm of what the scientists really kind of know about, and and you know, the politics of it all. And it's also like a hindrance to, to the actual process of doing the splits and you know the changes and so forth because the scientists are choosing the English names. And suddenly it all started kind of going, hold on a second, why do we even do this all in this manner, first of all? And then I kind of, uh, I got into this issue since I like seabirds of what does the name flesh-footed actually mean? And I wrote a proposal to change the name flesh-footed uh, shear water to something else just because if, if you sort of go through the name flesh doesn't actually mean what we think it means it doesn't mean meat flesh mm-hmm. that is the same in everybody and you know many animals um, but it meant you know the color of a white person's skin so all of this started crystallizing it's like there's something way bigger here that I haven't even taken the time to understand and that's when I thought you know we need to sort of start working on some of these names. And, you know, that's when I started learning about some of these folks from the past who really had kind of troubling histories. And uh, the fact is that my proposal got tabled because at that point in time, the AOS said, you know, we're not going to do anything with name changes until we have a process to change these names. And then I was like, okay, well, who's doing this process? And at that point in time, sort of somebody said, <laughs> do you want to be involved? Because you're (laughs) part of the AOS, one of the AOS committees. And I'm like, I guess so. You know, I mean, and that's sort of how I came into it. And we will probably get, you know, as we talk about this, so I went from this knee-jerk reaction to something's going on, to why are the scientists doing all of this and not everybody else that's involved with birds? Why are they not involved in it? To Oh boy, you know, I think we really do have to change all of these names as the easiest way to sort of get out of the politics and, and all the mess that is naming uh, a bird after a person. It's the, in a way, the cleanest way to do this, you know, so that's, that's kind of my journey, sort of roughly. Yeah. But I, I'd be honest, I did not like this at the start.
0: It's interesting <laughs> that you bring up this weird marriage of, taxonomy and names in some ways that feels like they have to be sort of inextricably linked because if you're a taxonomist and you're making these decisions based on what is a species and what isn't you're splitting these the species then you need two new names but in many ways taxonomists are not the best people for this because as you rightly point out al there are a lot of stakeholders here not just the scientific community but now there's conservationists there's government authorities there's the whole bird watching world that uses these english common names as a currency um it's it's wild it's a little bit odd that yeah
3: and the, and the scientists are part of the user the scientists user are certainly part of the stakeholders yeah.
0: as well but it's odd that that has been the only stakeholder that has sort of mattered for so long and we've all just kind of gone along right. with it
3: right yeah and and i think one of the things that that i found troubling too in the post after sort of the you know the the November 1st announcement was that a lot of people were saying, you know, this is a really undemocratic thing that has just been done. You know, it's this uh, change that sort of came down from the top and so forth. And I'm thinking, oh, so decades of just, you know, 10, usually dudes, not all, Um, around the table or, or whatever, making up these names was somehow more democratic. I I don't know. I don't think so. And that that was part of the process too. It's like to try to make this more democratic. And I was shocked at the fact that the, the critics sort of felt the other, the other way. And I think maybe it's because they wanted a, a, a one by one case scenario that each one could be talked about. And we can talk about how we, we looked at that. Mm-hmm. that, that was, that was perhaps the first, we thought that might be the way to go. Mm-hmm. And we, we, you know, we didn't in the end <laughs>
0: for, for reasons <laughs> that we may go into uh, here right. briefly, but I, I do want to talk about all of your experiences on the committee <laughs> themselves. What was it like being in the virtual room? Um, what was sort of the temperature of these, of these discussions? Um, and what were sort of the different viewpoints of the people were coming into this, did, was there a pretty diverse group of people, at least in terms of where they f- stood on this issue at the beginning of the talks?
2: My experience was that for the first six months, uh, we, we waffled around quite a bit. We, didn't, we did not quickly divide up into any camps because I the don't think there were any camps at the beginning. I, I don't think many of us knew where we ourselves stood. I personally had no idea what this committee was going to be able to do. I had no idea if the AOS would mm-hmm. accept our recommendations. I, I had a lot of skepticism the whole time, and I had no idea that we would end up where we ended up. But we, we spent the first six months really um, treading water, feeling each other out walking on eggshells doing various activities like coming up with kind of a kind of a statement of mission or goals or vision or something this is posted on our blog and we were public about it um yeah but and then we were trying to categorize birds into different boxes (laughs) remember this (laughs) al and irene it was and and we it was very difficult yeah these well, Tears. we tried yeah, to put yeah. birds in and there were always exceptions and there were always caveats and there were always gray areas. Yeah. And, and and that was that was a huge part of what we were dealing with. But also most of us didn't know each other and the whole thing was on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so you, you really lose a lot of opportunity to build a connection and trust when you're not in person and like, you know, making coffee together or going on a walk together or whatever. It's just on Zoom. And so... It took us a long time to to connect and f- and weed through uh, you know all of these different. We went down so many rabbit holes. I mean, a- any yeah. blog you've seen on weird stuff about bird names, yeah, we probably talked about it. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes felt like looking back, it, it was almost like the movie, The Breakfast Club, you know, where this starts off and they're all the kids are all together looking at each other going, who is this? <laughs> What's what their deal? And what have you? And then they get more and more comfortable. And by the end of it, you know, they're having a great time kind of getting things done. I think that's a little bit how, how I, I want to see it, you know. And, and I was really taken, like, I thought it was great that there were varying opinions and, and nobody was ever really shut down. You know, I I thought, you know, that just sort of people just listen and go, okay, you know, you you sort of took things in.
0: It sounded like there was a catalyst moment at some point, though, where the discussion started getting, uh, I I don't know, for lack of a better word, real or at least started getting more focused, it sounds like. Uh, Do do you know what that moment was? Did you know it at the time that that moment was happening?
1: Yeah, I would say there was for me one early moment earlier in the middle of that first six months of sort of circling and, us being a cerebral, risk averse bunch, not wanting to offend anybody. <laughs> you know? um, and then I would say there was a moment where we did kind of ask everybody, "What? Okay, what are your personal opinions about this? Like, where where is your where are you heading right now?" Um, but the, mm-hmm. something that happened about a f- couple months after we started meeting was that we actually consulted with the Entomological Society of America.
0: Oh, that's right, because they were doing a similar process. Yeah, their
1: um, Better Common Names pro- project, and they had already changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, gypsy moth to spongy moth, as well as Asian giant hornet, popularly known as murder hornet, to <laughs> northern giant hornet. Whether or
0: not that's better or worse, I suppose, is up in the air. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and uh, so we spoke with the communications manager and just asked him, what was it like for you? I mean, lots of taxonomic societies are dealing with this. And so right. what an opportunity for now and in the future for different for, for different societies to exchange best practices or, you know, go through this journey together. Yeah, I mean, he he basically was very honest about what it took, what were the challenges along the way, how they had breakthroughs. And I remember he had said, we're not really sure how to scale this up right now. You know, that's a huge challenge, uh, again, a very common one. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are thinking about it. And I would say that after that meeting, I... I think I proposed some sort of framework just based on the points that he had covered. And again, it wasn't fully fleshed out for months, but it for me at least gave me a toehold into okay, what are the considerations that need to be brought in here? And then and then a couple of months later, I do think that we just had a meeting where views maybe started crystallizing into where we're not really seeing that there has ever been a conversation where we can accurately draw a line and mm-hmm. define a scope of names to change if it's not going to be all names.
0: Right. And th- that seemed to be the big issue that a lot of uh, opponents took issue with. It was, you know, th- this is going to be all the names, all the eponyms were proposed or recommended to be changed. This is even the ones that are, quote unquote, good for whatever that means. And of course, it means different things to different people. And that's part of the problem. Um, so where, how do you get there?
2: We we reached a lot of dead ends. I imagine on, so on on alternative routes, and and we wanted yeah. we wanted a process. We wanted this to be also an opportunity to excite and educate the public about birds. So we wanted the conversation mm-hmm. to be. I mean, so one thing that came out of the Entomology Society meeting is that they, for oh, gosh, almost a hundred years, they have been they've been seeking public input in names. Um, I think just among their society members, yeah. but still um, that that was a standard process for them. And so we wanted to involve the public in a conversation about birds and learning about birds, uh, not a debate about humans.
0: Yeah. Fair enough.
1: Yeah. I'll also say, and I totally understand the reaction for people who might be, Seeing the announcement and feeling surprise or confusion because the charge was originally talking about a process to address harmful and exclusionary names, and mm-hmm. it makes total sense if you're thinking, well, okay, Scott Townsend, of course, those are nobody's going to debate that, but why are we getting rid of Wilson and Stellar and other other names? Um, so I just want to validate anybody who had that initial reaction, but to say that we had that too, and over and over again, it really was, we don't want to be morality police. We don't want to, as Steve said, have that distraction of getting into these endless debates about whether or not someone merits keeping their name. And also, we were trying to figure out an equitable process. Like We really kind of tried to game out what that might look like to do a case-by-case approach. You'd have to have a group of people selected with some sort of Qualifiers or qualifications, skill sets, expertise—you'd have to have a set of criteria by which to decide whether or not a name stays or goes. You'd have to have a way to standardize that information if, in case, it's incomplete, and you'd have to find a way to honor different viewpoints and narratives of history. And so, again, that's part of that is why um, we we never came to a situation where we could see it as being something feasible.
2: That was the big issue for me was the different narratives. Um, We are land of many narratives and it's foolish for us to think that, well, just from a native perspective, natives detest Mount Rushmore. Well, white people might be shocked by that. You know, it's, 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 it's (laughs) carving. It's a, it's an insult on top. It's an injury on top of insult. It's an insult on top of injury. Um, You know, Lewis and Clark, um, I'm currently reading the book birding, well, Indian, and um he goes after Lewis and Clark on like page eight uh, <laughs> and <laughs> so <coming> <laughs> um, yeah uh, so i I think I think we are a land of many narratives, and people grow up with different histories it's It's like we're a flock of of shorebirds and ducks and a, and a and a raptor flies by, and some of us flush, and some of us don't <laughs> uh, just to backtrack too there's there's a an-
3: I think a misunderstanding that the the ad hoc committee uh, decided that names needed to be changed that mm-hmm. decision had already been made uh, in a sense, like there had been long tail duck and thick bill longspur that had already been changed for these you know reasons of of you know social equity or what have you, even though the duck was you know they they sort of said no it's it's really trying to standardize the uh English usage of the name, which is actually true, but the equity committee—I <laughs> forget the full name. Sorry, the diversity <laughs> inclusion committee. Diversity, yeah. yeah. And the AOS had already sort of said some of these names have to be changed. Um, you know, sort of the worst actors, and you know, there's, you know, we probably named a few of them already, and the, this was about the process of how we get those names changed. So we didn't actually decide to sort of change mm-hmm. names that was already happening okay and i think that's important to to note and then it's the it's like how is it going to happen and that's where we we came upon this idea of like yeah we don't want to be talking about people all the time and i've been on the taxonomic committee it it's volunteer there's not a lot of time to get things <laughs> done and i could not imagine how unpleasant it would have been and also what a a waste of these biologists' time to be talking about the merits of, of whether, you know, um, Lucy deserves to have a warbler or not. And uh, so that, that, I think, uh, all kind of came, came together for me. And I should backtrack too and say that, you know, I, I, I mentioned about, um, th- there was, you know, the, the idea of, of democracy in this. The truth is that people could have been one by one Writing the proposals and sending them to the committees. There, it was a process there and it was open to anybody. So that is democratic. But the reality is that it was not being advertised or talked about or used in that way. And the sort of the, the, the problem in, in the user group was growing, growing, growing in, in, in their concern, right? Yeah. Faster than the solutions were coming. So that's why something had to be done. And and we had to come up with a process. And this is what the ad hoc committee was really about. And I was, frankly, amazed once things sort of started rolling that not only the idea that we, we shouldn't be talking about these folks, we should be talking about the birds, happened, you know, sort of, we all, most of us, I think, agreed on that. And also that to make a separate committee was a big deal, too. Just to deal with English, English names, so that it could be separate from the taxonomic committee, and and work with the public, with mm. all of the stakeholders that are actually going to want to be present. I think that those were two big deal things. Uh, and once we got to there, we were like, "Wow, you know this this is kind of potentially really cool, yeah, um, but painful because I like some of these names, you know, I've grown up with them, and I I can't even." I mean, I I still have been trying to think of a really good name for Cooper's hawk, yeah, and I can't a, come up with one. one. You know, it's <laughs> gonna, That's going to be one of the the ones. Uh, and I, it's it's not like this is not going to be difficult. It's it's difficult, but I think we're doing sort of the hard work today for folks in the future to not have to deal with all of this essential human yep. baggage. You know, in our birds.
0: I, I remember when the McCown's Longspur change was accepted and the, you know, the precedent was set that the committee, the taxonomic committee, was going to deal with English bird names. This is before the ad hoc committee was was created and that was sort of taken away and, and set off to the side. And I think it is safe to say that if that had not happened, that committee would have been inundated with bird name change proposals such that they would have it would have been, you know, 10 to 1. Uh, taxonomic proposals. And I think, I, I hope we can all agree that that's not a great use of that committee's time. Uh, probably mm-hmm. not the sort of thing that they want to be dealing yeah, with, I, almost certainly.
2: I want to uh, highlight that yeah. w- one of, well, when we made three recommendations, um, one was to change those bird names mm-hmm. that is getting all the all the attention. But our our other two recommendations were to have a separate committee that is not tra- not necessarily trained in taxonomy, but also trained in public education, outreach, things like that, to handle English bird names only. And then the third recommendation was to involve a public process. And so that, that part, um, and, and I know that the AOS was excited about those recommendations, um, this will be the first time in history that English bird names are chosen uh, involving a public process, mm-hmm. Um, chosen by a committee specifically for them. It also, the English Bird Names Committee, we recommend it that they have have um, term limits and be externally appointed. So that's not the case right now. Um, so th- these are all new things and that they're, they're very, I think they're very exciting.
1: Yeah, and certainly have that taxonomic expertise represented, but also maybe be able to capture, like we've been talking about, that breadth of the community that uses english bird names which it bears reminding is more prevalent mm-hmm. compared to other fields of natural history for example we talked about even including you know artists poets you know getting Absolutely. a really transdisciplinary swath of people who might think about names in different ways and just one last thing about the spirit of the three recommendations together, I think it's important to remember that the changing of names was never the end itself. It was always a means to an end, which was to increase belonging and welcoming and participation in ornithology and Mm -hmm. birding with an aim of helping bird conservation outlooks. Those That path goes together and that's why involving the public is critical to a avoiding performative changes arbitrary mm-hmm. changes um and achieving those goals of of having more people notice fall yeah. in love with engage with understand birds and their natural world
0: the aos represents the americas the entire hemisphere what does it mean for birders and ornithologists outside the us and canada what is the the mindset on these names in those places. Al, you might be the, the <laughs> best suited to handle that question. But, you know, a couple of things at least seem sort of relevant to me. One, uh, there's no official list of Spanish names. So those names are all over the place. And uh, two, there are relatively be. few. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's fun, but it's also intimidating. Uh, and two, there are, you know, relatively few honorific names for birds in Latin America, even on the bird continent. So the impact is felt a little bit less. But how, what does it mean for for that part of the AOS as well? Well,
3: I, I think it's a it's a complicated question because these are English names, yeah. right? So yeah, so right. it's not the scientific name. It's not the Spanish names, and the Spanish names are are um all over the place because ev- every country has its own specific culturally relevant names, mm. and that's why I think, as I said, as they should be, because I don't think you want to be telling. Argentinians to call their rufous-collared sparrow like the Ecuadorians do which would make no sense to them like their name is their name so that I think in that respect when you start thinking okay it's it's about your own culture what what you call these birds then I think it validates the fact that as North Americans you know north of Mexico uh, you know sort of Canada the US having Culturally relevant names that are are appropriate for our, you know, concerns as people of these countries is is valid, and we can think of those separate from how the Europeans think of the English names or the Australians and so forth. Like there is a release uh, from standardization of English names, which I think in a it's sort of like Esperanto. It it's wonderful as a concept of like, if we could all speak this one language, uh, and, you know, we would have harmony all over the all world. The
0: would be all
3: the problems would be solved. Um, <laughs> yet it ignores the fact that you have your own language because it's the language you grew up with. That's your culturally, you know, relevant language or languages if you have multiples. So, you know, I, I think that. It's complicated when you start thinking about that, but this is these are English names, and I think for the most part, very few South Americans or people in you know sort of Mesoamerica use English names, other than bird tour leaders, uh, for the most part, uh, and they may see okay, this is sort of a, the hassle, and some of the scientists might be you know really comfortable with the English names, and one of the reasons that English has predominated is because they have been standardized. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the idea of, of, of standardization and, um, you know, of, of continuity of names that is, that's being broken now is, is, is a valid concern, but I think there's benefits to this too, right? That we do have, you know, to sort of look at what we want to call our birds and what our means Depends on where you live and what what your your place. So I don't want to tell Guyanans, you know, who's you know what their English names should be right now at this point in time without their input, right? Or people from Trinidad and Tobago, and you know that that's that's an interesting you know concept to sort of start thinking about. But for the for the most part, I think uh, we were going into the you know should all of the AOS. Including South America names be changed, and we we really uh, at that point said I think overall over time that should be done, but there has to be a different process to to deal mm-hmm. with with South America and Latin America.
2: Yeah. Our, so our our recommendation on on that was it was a separate tier to be addressed later, mm-hmm. yeah. and it should be addressed by uh you know a, a different English bird names committee essentially one one that's that's from that, from those regions, even though, even though they don't speak English as their primary language. Yeah, it's a good
1: point of clarification. And uh, people in the media, when they've been talking to us, have been a little bit confused by the differences in the recommendations. Yeah. Versus the uh, commitment by that. AOS. And I can understand why AOS dis- dis- uh, made a separate distinction. So our recommendations... Just went down the North American and South American classification committees' lists and pulled out the apostrophe s's, except mm-hmm. for Chuck with. widows. <laughs> Chuck widows. Yeah, that's the one, <laughs> the,
0: the, the exception that the role.
1: And yeah. um, so, in kind of a more abstract way, we covered all of those names. But absolutely, as Alvaro was saying, you know, you don't want to accidentally, inadvertently violate your own DEIJ principles by mm-hmm. having these unilateral decisions. And so, AOS. Uh, decided to say, let's focus on the 70 to 80 species that are prevalent in the US and Canada first. And Mm -hmm. all of the ones outside, absolutely, we need close coordination, collaboration, communication with the stewards of those species. Um, I will say that I I know that there also has been some confusion about the exact list of species. That's why it's 70 to 80. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we've had some confusion about whether Baltimore Oriole for example is on this. Oh, it's right, not. Yeah. Uh Zenaida Dove, yes it is. <laughs> you know, so um, I'm expecting that AOS will publish that list just to reduce con- confusion that's happened. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And and I should I should point that I, you know, I really liked the the cleanliness of sort of saying let's just deal with the apostrophe s names. So Blackburnian, Zenaida Dove, and what was uh, the other Montezuma, one? Montezuma Montezuma Quail. Montezuma, yeah, maybe yeah. Montez Quail, or both, yes, I, or yeah. I thought those, like, l- let's let's keep them for now because <laughs> it, it, it was list. it was not a possessive in the same way, and and the, I react more strongly to to that idea of of, of ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's Zenaida Dove, it doesn't really sound like ownership to me. But if it's or or Blackburnian Warbler, but you know Wilson's Warbler it it does get at this idea of like oh i mean i guess it's not my warbler yeah. you know even though i see it all the time or have a a relationship with that warbler and i you know looked at it all my life it's yeah. wilson's stake warbler the,
0: the claim, and, and
3: and, and <laughs> yeah and it's like, it's like putting yeah. the flag on right on, on the board. bird you know w- which i think uh, i've got less and less comfortable with mm-hmm. that whole idea over the years like why do we do this and ego you know and and why do we name things for others ego why do we want things named for ourselves ego and i think you know uh, let's get rid of the or minimize the ego and birding too that would be awesome i mean
2: yeah <laughs> and and let's be fair to wilson here he he called it the what the the black cap green flycatcher yeah
0: he didn't even have so, to um, that, so yeah.
2: yeah and you know it, i mean one thing I'd, I'd like to add is that it 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 was not just an issue of there were some bad actors and it was just easier to include everyone. I mean, it's not a throwing the baby out with the bathwater thing. It it was far more complicated than that. First of all, there were a lot of gray areas, like people who were soldier scientists involved in probably nefarious activities who we know nothing about, Mm -hmm. um, except we know where they were in time and place. Um, But then there's also this whole issue of, yes, should nature be named after people? The, the 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 concept of possession, of name it and claim it. This all did happen largely in the U.S. in a certain time and place, which was in the American West in the mid-1800s. Very few honorific bird names on the East Coast um, because those were all in the 1700s. And then, you know, there's other issues. Like when I was an eight-year-old birder, I remember seeing, you know, Anna, Grace, Lucy thinking, oh, yeah, well… I mean, that just sent a message to me as an eight-year-old boy that it was clear to me that the, that the, that the other ones were all men and being being honored in a, in a professional, respectful way with their last name. And these women were just being, well, like secretaries with their first name or something. I mean, it, it was very much that connotation. As an eight-year-old, that's how I took it. Except
3: for Lady Amherst. That, that, <laughs> I that, didn't know that's that one. More, you know, that's a little, <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a. Lady Amherst pheasant, you know that's really serious So there were there were all <laughs> kinds of issues.
0: Yeah, there has been a fair bit of opposition to this announcement, as to be expected for such a such a large change. I want to give you the opportunity to kind of address some of the, I want to say, uh, reasonable opposition to this uh, to these recommendations, and I hope that you will indulge me. Uh, I've got a couple of them, and you feel free to jump in, at whatever, um, uh, whenever you like. So the first one. Uh, stability what does this mean for old bird books old scientific papers how are people going to be able to keep track of bird names if the names don't stay the same
3: um the stability question is well first of all i think people should be concerned about such a major change in in birds and ornithology and i am glad that there's opposition because it means people care this is one thing right um I'm not so glad about some of the opposition that has times been sort of nasty. Fair. And uh from from from
0: not the opposition odd but places the, your yeah <laughs>
3: yeah right the nasty bit. So but stability the idea that um the names should sort of remain and and uh it minimizes confusion to have changes and so forth um happen blah blah blah. It's it's a real thing, right? Uh but we do have in today's world, the internet, for one thing, and we have the old system of of scientific names that is really goes through sets of rules of st- stable that we can look up. We can look and see who is what, and also those changes can be mentioned in Wikipedia pages in uh, the you know eBird Birds of the World to minimize confusion. So that when you have your field guide, and even the field guide could have, you know, maybe for a few years the old name there, or somebody even suggest a little space don't field, all new field guides, yeah. just sort of right write it, down. Like yeah. I, I, you know, my field I learned time, this is, so. <laughs> right. I learned this. This was Cooper's hawk, but this is this is a real real um, issue. But we do have ways around it to minimize the pain uh, in today's world. I think partially be, because we have everything online where you can just look up and go, well, this name doesn't sound, you know, sound quite right. I mean, uh, I'm surprised that, you know, people still, I mean, I see the rare bird reports of, you know, common Blackhawks from Cuba that it's been the Cuban Blackhawk for a decade. Some, some things just, you know, are are hard to sort of get through if you're using old books and so forth, but scientific names are important. And also that system helps and also, it's a system where the history of, of ornithology is there mm-hmm. in multiple ways. And, uh, you know, the names, not only of, uh, of the species, but also who named them, are in the scientific names and the original descriptions. We have a lot of systems by which we can minimize the issue here. But the question is, if you just don't do anything, what are the costs to that, right? And there are costs, some people say there aren't, but there are as well
0: yeah. all right here's another one. the committee met in secret and did not adequately uh, survey potential responses to these changes
2: well let's let, let's, be, let's be clear about one one issue is that um, so uh, people might not understand the organizational structure here, and I certainly did not when I when I joined this.
0: I so think that is a problem. Yes. So, so,
2: so imagine that, so the big tent is the American ornithological society it used to be the American mm-hmm. ornithological union. Um, and it merged with help me Cooper. out here.
0: Cooper. Cooper. Okay. Cooper.
2: And, um, and so that covers North and South America. And so the, it has, it has lots of committees, I assume, but the two I know are the taxonomy committees that do the lumps and the splits with, there's the North American checklist committee and the South American checklist committee. Sometimes called the NACC or the SACC, those are the people that do the lumps and the splits, the taxonomists, who have also, oh, 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 since at least since 1954, inherited English the responsibility to do English bird names as well. It was all it was all scientific until then. All all sci- I mean, the scientific names in all natural history is is the official name, and not and as Irene mentioned, a, a lot of. A lot of nat- the majority of natural history don't have official English names; <laughs> it's just colloquial names. And then our committee was appointed by the AOS Council, which is a—I a, don't know—it's the AOS Council is like thirty people, as a big council. Um, and they appointed our committee to do one task. That's which is why we're called an ad hoc committee, and we're we're officially done now. There were actually two members of the AOS Council on our committee. There were uh, uh, there was a member of the uh, North American tax uh, class of, uh, checklist committee on on our committee. There was a member of there were a current member and a past member. Alvaro, oh no, Alvaro is the current member. I'm current. Daniel yeah. is the past okay. member yeah. of the South South American committee on our committee. So within the AOS, all of these groups and some of which have members that have been vocally opponents of our recommendations, they, not only was our committee not secret, like all of these other groups were sitting at our table or on our Zoom calls, if you will. Yeah, so beyond transparent, we were like inclusive. Oh, that, there was a second part to your question too, I think, um, the, what was...
0: Uh, the survey?
3: Oh, the oh, survey, yeah. the yes.
0: AOS members were not adequately surveyed.
3: We, I, but, I wanted to say that during, during our first few months, we discussed the survey a lot. Like how, how to do a survey, what kind of survey was going to be and how, how this is going to work. And we sort of said, you know, this is a quagmire to do an appropriate survey that includes the right stakeholders without it getting hijacked by, by, you know, people, you know, and we thought, what questions would we ask? We realized that the entire science of surveying was beyond what anybody that we know in the (laughs) ornithological community (laughs) probably that we knew anyways (laughs) could do that we thought this would be even worse for the entire uh, community to get into a survey because it would become basically a flame war of opinions. That's one of the things that we, I mean, maybe I'm
2: misinterpreting what, what we discussed at the time. I, I agree, Alvaro. I, I, so I, I have a PhD in resource economics. So survey methodology comes up all the time in economics. And it's a, it's a field. You don't just do a survey. You hire consultants to do a survey.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a, a big, big deal.
2: deal. Survey design is a whole academic field of study. Um so you don't just wing it. Um we had a budget of 0 and 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 and, and, and so besides like I mean I, I, I gosh, I mean I'm familiar with economic surveys that cost 7 million dollars to implement and and even those surveys there, there's one thing true about all surveys is that no one accepts the results. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we we spent quite a bit of time on this and ended up concluding that this was not really going to um, lead to any progress.
0: You're never going to get all the shareholders. And,
2: oh, and and furthermore, our our thing is equity and inclusion. So you don't decide marginalization issues by majority vote, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what if what if twenty percent or thirty percent of the people, fe- you know, felt that. <laughs> that this was wrong i mean you know then that's a if you're an organization like the aos well then that's a significant issue but like so what's our threshold how would we interpret results
1: yeah Mm -hmm. exactly the questions of how to do it and then more importantly what would we do once we had the results and also were they trustworthy always dogged us um I do want to say I I totally hear and honor the wish for a magic bullet of knowing exactly the landscape, that snapshot, you know, um, of addressing criticisms of loud voices in the room um, where others may be hearing voices from people who feel a different way. Um, But with everything Alvaro and Steve said about the, all of the questions that have to be resolved and carrying out a confidence inspiring survey um, and then figuring out exactly like, is it going to guide our recommendations? Maybe it might not. Then that was yeah. the kind of decision that we made um, that again, we recognized the use and the promise of it, but there really wasn't a way to get there. So we wrote that in our recommendations too.
3: People have sort of said there's, this is a vocal minority that's sort of hijacking everything. We, we don't think it's a minority mm-hmm. um, or you know I think there's a lot of people, but like Steve said earlier, it divides up into demographic uh
0: fairly predictably groups
3: yeah. I do think that they' the people who who don't um see that this is useful for the future of birds and birding have i guess have no no reason to to be concerned about the names perhaps and they're just comfortable with things and so forth and that's fine, you know um but to, to then go and say to other people, you know, you shouldn't worry about this. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's not a big deal. That is, I find that problematic. You know, I mean, I I read Steve's um, um summary of how he thinks uh, of Scott, and it it really hits home. You know, when you have a person who says, I cannot look at that bird, and not think about the history of First Nations people in this in this country, um, without having it sort of feel like a gut punch. And I'm thinking that. Even if it's a few hundred people that feel that way, what's the point of of maintaining this name if it's if it's not great for the bird, for the people watching the bird? And in fact, we could come up with a name that in the future nobody would see the association uh, with 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 that person and have just a, a beautiful name for a beautiful bird where it doesn't make anybody feel bad about it. You know, just thinking. Just think about it that way and and uh it starts getting a little easier to to, to assess what's going on. But it does hurt if you've if you've also change is difficult, you know? It's
0: gonna take a long time for me to stop saying coop when a cooper sock flies
2: by.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well we could keep coop. <laughs> yeah, right? Just keep it coop Just keep Hawk. coop. Ah yeah.
2: You know, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know there's, there's that a might not That might not a hard be good one. for you know? conservation. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe not. <laughs> uh, so one so so one more. Um what do you make of the argument that we lose some important part of our ornithological history when we change these names?
1: You want to take that one, Steve?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think Ken Kaufman addressed that um, really nicely in a blog post um, recently. He went down the rabbit hole that our committee went down, which was because, believe me, we, we did go down this. Um, <laughs> There seems to be this assumption that all of these names represent the kind of the, the founding fathers, at least of European understanding of of, of our birds. And that's, that's really not true at all. It's a really poor representation. <laughs> um, bird names are not good teachers of history, is the, is the short story here. Um, there's lots of great ornithologists that are missed in bird names, especially ones from the late 1700s. Um, Coos, one of the founders of the American Ornithological Union, is is not honored. Well, he used to be when I was a kid, Coos yeah. Flycatcher. <laughs> I don't know why they changed that, but. Um, and then. Well, Greater Pee Wee is a better descriptor
0: of the bird. Uh, yeah, so it is.
2: It is. It is better. Um, Greater Pee Wee. So, um, Bartram, uh, and uh, if, you, if you read Ken Kaufman's article, he talks about a woman, I'm forgetting her name, but she wrote. Um, is it? Bailey? Bailey? Yes. Florence Marion yeah. Bailey. Florence yeah. Marion Bailey, who wrote the first field guide for the for public use. I mean, talk yeah. about a contribution. Um, so, these people are not remembered. And then a lot of the people that we do have birds named after were scarcely ornithologists at all. There's there's uh, p- book publishers and friends and, you know, daughters of uh, potential publishers of, you know, people were trying to market their <laughs> product here. Mm. Um especially Audubon, and naming birds after random potential collaborators. And so it, it's really quite a hodgepodge. And it's not, uh, if you want to learn ornithological history, I don't recommend the current bird names as your guide. <laughs> I, one of the things too, that I, I, I think there's a lot of history that remains in in the birds that are
3: completely separate from people, which are, you know, we, we sometimes don't even understand like have you ever thought about purple finch doesn't look purple <laughs> but with the time that it was named for Purious, what purple was was a raspberry color and we've shifted huh. what we call purple over time so now the bird doesn't look purple but in the time that it was named it was actually we've the right finch color yeah. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> <laughs> right so that's right so it's like you know there's a lot of rabbit holes of interesting concepts that you can go to i mean those who've never seen the ring on the neck of the duck might might actually once they see it go like that is sort of a cool little feature i i admit the ring on the bill really shines but but it's 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 like a hidden gem when you actually see the brown neck on the on the duck that you, so there there's plenty of like oddball stuff that's that that is there that doesn't have to do with people mm-hmm. um There's a lot of fun stuff that remains in, in the English names and hopefully we'll make up new fun stuff to actually think about and tell us about the birds. And they don't all have, have to be descriptive names. You know, they can be something altogether different. And also I would love for more birds to be named after their song, their vocalizations. So that would be, that'd be great too. This is a huge opportunity to make amazing names and, uh, not enough is being talked about. Just the, can you imagine just being given a whole new set of like paints and Crayola and paper to just do art for, you know, for a little kid and you're like, woo, it's, that's kind of what I, I feel like a lot of birders have, have gotten that, that sort of, wow, look at this, we have something amazing ahead of us and it would be nice for, for folks to sort of realize that's there for them to take part in, Mm -hmm. right? every one of the people who is like involved with birds can actually go you know what i'm going to be keeping up with this and maybe i'm going to give some opinions
2: on this as it moves forward and that's fantastic it's new i want to echo that um, the worst argument i saw against changing the bird names was that there's we don't have enough words to describe <laughs> these birds so yeah. we need to use human yeah. names <laughs> <laughs> and i thought are you kidding me the english language is is quite rich and um and furthermore you know there's a lot of Online hypothetical exercises where people are suggesting alternative names for birds, and I have really been Gross. blown Good away ones. by yeah. some of the beautiful poetic people really think outside the box and they come up with names I would have never thought of that um you know i mean the, these are names right up there with you know some of our current best names like i don't know whatever our current best name evening grosbeak I love that That's name, a nice name. Yeah. um and the, these are names that are like you know go beyond that they're fantastic and um i'm really optimistic and i really believe involving the public is is going to be a win-win
0: i agree and i think that once we start seeing some of these new names a lot of the anxiety that perhaps people are feeling that it's going to folks are going to screw it all up is going to be dissipated
1: and we're hoping that a lot of the logistical Issues that come with all new processes getting ironed out will be addressed in the pilot process that we know is coming down the road. That was
0: my next question. Um, it, what is the plan from here? Is there a timeline? Are we actively working on the next steps? Well,
3: our committee is finished, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> our committee's done. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but Irene might know more than, than I know.
1: Yeah, actually, when the committee <laughs> finished working, I sent around on Slack the finishing you know, the end of Oceans 11 where everyone's outside the Bellagio <laughs> <staring at laughs> and my, Claire yeah, de Lune is playing and we the, all go. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes.
0: In this case, it's because it was because uh, of Breakfast Club. It's it's Simple stuff. Oh, that's <laughs> <right>. oh <laughs> Look Flink at you. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Call back. Call <laughs> back.
1: So my knowledge is that AOS leadership is really hard at work on what we've recommended that they do and what they've committed to do. Um, so I just want to be clear that we're not in the room anymore, but my understanding is mm-hmm. they are working on putting together an equitable, inclusive process to put together a committee and to set up the infrastructure for how this committee might work to interface with the public. Um, because what we recommended was, is going to be quite involved in terms of a mm-hmm. way to solicit public input, obviously monitor that input, uh, vote names you know, solicit other information that people might have about a certain species, communicate that information back, you know, like having this two-way channel. Um, Mm -hmm. So I haven't heard anything about what's going on. Um, Definitely have heard from enthusiastic people contacting me or us to say, how can I be involved in the committee? So that has been really energizing. And so my understanding is that there will be a call for nominations, but don't have an idea about the timeline.
0: Just just throwing my <laughs> hat in yeah. the room. There he is, <laughs> in there. No. <laughs> if you need someone to do outreach, I'm happy to
1: <laughs> service. <laughs> so yeah, they're proceeding cautiously, but I'm hoping to hear something um, in the new year. But, yeah, you know, we're scientists. It's going to be slow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: maybe some of the people who are focusing on this being such a drastic change so close should remember that this is a process (laughs) undertaken by scientists and that it's going to be a certain amount of uh, administrative, the brakes are on. Or just just discussing
3: things for a long time, you know. Just discussing discussing things. things, Making sure things are good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If anybody is interested in reading more about our justifications, we worked really hard Mm -hmm. to include a lot of detail, bringing people along, and hopefully reflecting the amount of thought that the committee had in discussing things among themselves, as well as committing things to Mm -hmm. paper. So I don't know if in the show notes, you might want to link to the recommendations. I'll
0: definitely link to the... Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the recommendations are really well done. And I was for one, I don't know what I expected. I think I didn't know what to expect. And so I was pleasantly surprised to see with the recommendations when they came out and how much obvious thought and care had gone into, you know, trying to cover all eventualities and all, you know, head off any potential complaints about the process being, you know, fixed or whatever. I, th- I thought it was yeah. really well
2: done. Well, you know, the the final result, I mean, the the final version of that, of our document, especially pages eleven through nineteen, which is the justification section. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put the link up there, that final document was shaped by considerable back and forth at the end with mm-hmm. the um, NACC, the SACC, and the AOS Council, mm-hmm. uh, because they they did get preliminary looks at at early drafts, and and that final draft is 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 a result of that back and forth.
3: Yeah, and also we we uh, sent out a set of recommendations to the council, right? And that's mm-hmm. what you can read there. But the council then we didn't know what was going to happen. We had no idea, you know, if, if they were going to say, oh, we'll take we'll take pages eleven through twelve, but nothing else, or or you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to do this but not that. The fact that they accepted the whole set of recommendations was i thought i i was i w- i did not expect that myself maybe some others did on the on, on our committee but i also think it's because we did hash through so many things and eventually you know the, the the particularly the work that irene and steve did to to crystallize some of these all these you know conversations in here i think people could read that we had actually gone through a lot of this. This was not a quick, "Hey, we got a solution. Here it is." But it was it was a lot of conversation, and it and I think, um, like I said, like we've said here, it's like read read the document, and you'll you'll get a sense for that. And so I was quite surprised. I've got to say myself.
0: Thank you so much, Irene. Steve and Al for coming on and talking through your, your experience on this committee and your thoughts about these bird name changes. It's uh, fascinating stuff. And I think uh will illuminate a lot of the discussion. I hope fingers crossed it will illuminate some of the discussion going forward because we all, we all hope so. Um Thank you again for your work on the committee. Thank you again for the conversation.
2: Thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it, even in 2024, is to join the ABA. Not only do you get to support community projects like the American Birding Podcast, but membership gets a lot of great benefits, including our magazines, discounts to partners like Olympus, Beauty of Books, Corner O, and more. Another thing you can do to support us is to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It doesn't cost a dime, and I will consider it a personal holiday gift from you to me. I can't send you a thank you card, but I can say thank you right here and now. Special shout-outs this week to Gwen Ballos of Juneau, Alaska, Sarah Barto of Northbrook, Illinois, Joe Cicolini of Carbondale, Illinois, Corey Zupka of Minneapolis, Minnesota, Sue Gilbert of Hinesburg, Vermont, Lucinda Keller of Los Angeles, California, Cynthia Nichols of Grantham, New Hampshire, Joseph Piacentini of Las Vegas, Nevada, Eric Podbilski and family of Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, Marguerite Rousseau and Maxime Boisvert, I hope I got that right, of LeClairsville, Quebec, Danielle Schoenfeld of St. Louis, Missouri, Peter Stronach of Boat of Garten, Scotland, I think, and Mary Sturtevant of Springfield, Missouri, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much to all of you. Happy holidays. Welcome to the ABA in the new year. Executive Director of the ABA and Executive Producer of this podcast is Wayne Klockner, who notes that the Ad Hoc Committee on Bird Names isn't the only birdie-doing that reminds one of a John Hughes movie this year. The Midsummer Flamingo Invasion was certainly pretty in pink, or acceptable and ashy gray in the case of the younger birds. Technical production is by John Lowry, who lost a lifer in the Western Flycatcher Lump this year, an act he calls weird science. Additional help comes from Maggie Fitzgibbon and Greg Neese, who both called out sick on the same day to chase a local rarity, a gambit that they called... Ferris Birders Day Off. You can find us online at aba.org, on social media, most everywhere is American Birding Association. On Blue Sky, we are at aba birds. Questions, comments, can come to podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Have a great new year. Bird like Tom. We'll see you next time.